0: Hey, Crime Salad listeners. Welcome back to another episode. Ashley here with Crime Salad. And with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Hey, guys. Hey, so this Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time, we are doing something really cool. So if you guys are patrons, bring your questions. We are doing a live Q&A.
1: Ooh, that's yeah. something we've never done before. We've
0: never done it before, and we're really excited to hear your guys' questions. So definitely bring your questions.
1: We're also scared.
0: Yeah, a little scared. <laughs> I don't know. Don't 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 be too hard on us though. This is our first time.
1: No, but really, <laughs> ask anything you want. Like uh some of the questions that we've already gotten, um we actually did like a Instagram post and also a post on our Patreon asking uh, you know, what people wanted to hear. Um and one of the questions was, "Do we ever get sick of each other?" <laughs> which i think is like a funny it's kind of a funny thing because we do everything together like,
0: everything like we both
1: like, we both work from home we
0: both sleep in the same bed
1: well yeah <laughs> we we pet the same dogs no but <laughs> it's it's one of those things that it's like we work so much together so it's like with the podcast and work and family life and everything it's it's non-stop so but we'll
0: save that answer for the q and a
1: yeah it might be a heated yeah,
0: No, <laughs> we might get into it
1: now. No, but if, if you're uh, if you're not a patron already, um, you can actually head over to patreon.com slash Crime Salad Podcast. Uh, we have two tiers right now. We have a $1 tier and a $3 tier. Um, so you can actually get with the $3 tier um, some of our older episodes, like our back catalog that's no longer available.
0: Catherine Knight.
1: Catherine Knight, uh, which was our second ever ep- episode.
0: Diane Downs was our first, right?
1: Diane Downs Diane. was the first in the, the intro to our our theme song we get a lot of hate about (laughs) a little bit so this week we wanted to give a shout out to our new patrons we have dawn who gave us a hundred dollar that's oh
0: my god that's amazing yeah
1: that pays for like a lot of stuff for the podcast just that one donation alone or a steak dinner or or a steak dinner (laughs) (laughs) we also have Jeanette. Thank you guys so much. It's seriously amazing. Like Your guys' support
0: is truly amazing. Definitely. We've, we really can't do it without you. It's definitely what drives us to just keep doing this podcast.
1: Yep. And we also have some new things coming. Um, I think after the baby's born, we're going to start up bonus episodes. So a lot of people have been wanting that. You know, we'll probably just add it to like the $3 tier. I'm not sure if we're adding any new tiers yet, but definitely want to keep growing expanding and, and making this Patreon experience exactly what you guys are wanting. So make sure, you, you know, you message us, say hi. If you know, if you have a request, like, yeah, go ahead.
0: Definitely. So today we are covering the missing case of Jill Marr. And this case was sent to us by Steph from Melbourne, Australia. So if you have a case that happened in your hometown or nearby, we would love to hear about it. So send us a DM on our Instagram. Imagine you're at a local bar and you're out having a fun night drinking, just having a pure, organic, fun night out with friends, enjoying life. As the night starts to end, it's getting late, so you walk home, knowing you're only blocks away from where you live. You're alone, hearing only the cars in the streets and the sound of your shoes stepping on the sidewalk. Maybe we've all experienced this at a time. Have you ever been in a situation where a person comes right up to you in the streets? How many times does a situation like this happen? I feel like for me anyways, whenever I worked in the city, it was pretty much on the daily. But to be in Jill's shoes on that September night had to have been absolutely terrifying. Jill Mar's story is every woman's worst nightmare. In Brunswick, Melbourne, Jill was wrapping up a great night out with friends and was on her less than a half a mile walk home when she was attacked, raped, and murdered by a man she has never met before. Her cold-blooded attack became national news and sparked controversy for years to follow. Jillian McKeon, or Jill as she was known to by her friends and family, was born on the day before Halloween in 1982 in Drogheda County, Louth, Ireland. Rather than staying in the larger city of Drogheda, Jill spent her childhood in Terminfecken, a small village of less than 2,000 people with a history dating back to the seventh century. But when she turned nine, her father, George McKeon, was offered a job in Perth, Australia. Jill, George, her mother Edith, and brother Michael made the cross-continent move together and stayed in Perth for six years. While there, Jill attended Bull Creek Primary School and Ross Moyne High School. Though she was sad to have left her friends in Ireland, Jill quickly made many friends at school and with other kids in the neighborhood. When George and Edith decided to move their family back to Ireland in 1996, when Jill was still in her early teenage years, she still stayed in contact with many of her Australian friends. When her parents wanted to move back to Perth in 2004, Jill decided to stay in Ireland this time. She enrolled at University College Dublin, where she got a Bachelor of Arts, studying English, sociology, psychology, and project management. During school, Jill worked part-time at a bar, and in her spare time she wrote poetry and acted in plays on campus. Her real passion was working for the local radio station where she was a unit coordinator. On the first day of school at UCD in 2001, she met Tom Marr, and the pair became inseparable. They married in 2008 in a small ceremony in Wicklow, Ireland. Tom was happy to travel with Jill as she navigated a career in television and radio before finally settling on a job with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation known as ABC. ABC. At ABC, her role was usually administrative, but she occasionally was on air at the 774 ABC Melbourne radio station. Everywhere Jill went, she managed to find friends and make those around her feel at ease and happy. She was known for being intelligent, witty, and great company. Her best friend, Julie Collin, shared that Jill was kind and generous. The kind of person who, if a stranger came up to her asking for a cigarette, she would smile and say, yeah, here, take two, what else do you need? She was a beautiful and bubbly woman, according to all those who knew her. By 2012, she was 29 years old and excited to turn 30.
1: It was September 21st, 2012, and a Friday night when Jill Marr happily agreed to go out for some drinks after work with her friends to celebrate the end of the week and a colleague's birthday. Around 5 p.m. that night, she headed out of the ABC headquarters in South Bank where she worked. She spent a bit of time at a nearby gallery, And then around 9, she met up with some friends at a bar they called the Brunswick Green, located on Sydney Road, a bustling street in Melbourne. As it got to be later in the evening, Jill and her co-workers decided to head across the way to a new place they called the Etiquette Bar. Even though it was past midnight, the street was well lit and full of people. By 1.30 in the morning, Jill and her friends decided to call it a night and head home. Though a colleague asked to walk her home, Jill insisted she'd be fine and started on the 10-minute walk by herself. Given that the area is still rather busy and her home with Tom was less than a half mile away, she was confident that she'd make it home safely. While on the way, she called her brother Michael Kean to check in with them about their dad, who had recently suffered from a stroke and was in ailing health. Given that it was late, their talk was brief and nothing in the conversation alarmed Michael. He only noted that Jill, understandably so, sounded a little worried about their father's health. Ending her conversation with her brother, Jill continued walking down the familiar street. She passed a pizza shop, a wedding cake bakery, an art supply store, and a skin clinic. Only a short ways from her home, she passed by a dress shop called the Duchess Boutique. Here, CCTV inside the store catches Jill talking with a man dressed in a blue hoodie outside the brightly lit front windows. CCTV had caught this man walking in the opposite direction only minutes before, and he wasn't anyone Jill had been with at the bars earlier that night, less than a quarter mile from her home and less than 10 minutes after she said goodbye to her friends. Jill moves out of range of the CCTV camera, where the man in the blue hoodie suddenly grabbed her and dragged her into a dark alleyway behind the shops along Sydney Road. The alleyway, full of trash cans and graffiti, was much darker than the lit-up, still-busy street they were just on. A few neighbors recalled hearing a woman screaming coming from that alleyway where Jill was dragged, but none of them went to investigate. After a few minutes, everything went quiet. A short while later, a little after two in the morning, Tom Marr, Jill's husband, woke up to find that his wife hadn't made it back from the bar. Tom, concerned for her safety, called Jill's cell and texted, asking if everything was okay. But no reply came. For hours, he called and called, but Jill never picked up. By 4 a.m., Tom knew something was wrong, and he left their flat to go and search for his wife. By 6 a.m., still unable to find her, And with her phone not being answered after nearly 80 calls tom decided to go to the police for help and to report jill as a missing person all day saturday police scoured the area where jill was last seen retraced what would have been her walk home and interrogated everyone who was with her the previous night but by sunday no new leads had come up and jill was nowhere to be found To help spread awareness and to try to reach anyone who might have been on Sydney Street of the night of the 21st, Tom and Jill's family created a Facebook page called Help Us Find Jill Marr. The police also began to share more about Jill's case, hoping that someone might come forward with information, but still, no one came forward.
0: Alright guys, hear me out. I feel like for the most part, everyone listening to this podcast is of adult age. I mean, what do you think,
1: Reiki? I mean, we are a true crime podcast.
0: Right. And as we talked about on the show before, our relationships should add value to our lives, right? Yeah, I think. Thoughtfully designed toys for the bedroom can deepen your connection with your partner and leave everybody feeling satisfied. Dame Products is a woman-owned company making the next generation of toys for intimacy. Founded by a sex educator and engineering whiz, Dame develops its products with the help of real humans and couples just like you. Their mission is to make adding toys to the bedroom less intimidating and more accessible to create better intimate experiences for all. Dame's easy-to-use products are made with medical-grade silicone, smart design principles, and lots of love, earning glowing press from the New York Times, Wired, W Magazine, and many more. Whether you're looking to enhance intimacy or try something new with your partner, or give her a gift to encourage self-exploration, Dame has a toy that is sure to please. If you're unsure of what you're looking for, you can take their product quiz for product suggestions tailored to you and your partner. And Ricky, do you wanna know the best part? I do. Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days. So satisfaction is literally guaranteed. Go to dameproducts.com slash salad today for 15% off site-wide. Again, go to dameproducts.com slash salad today for 15% off site-wide.
1: Early in the morning on Monday, about 48 hours after she was reported missing by her husband, Jill's purse was found in an alleyway on Hope Street, the last street she would have turned down on her walk home given that they had already searched this area multiple times, police found this incredibly suspicious. Had the bag been dropped by Jill on Friday night, they would have found it right away during the initial sweep of the area. With Jill's purse found so much later, investigators believe that someone must have returned to drop off the bag, and if someone was planning her purse now, it became much more likely that foul play was involved. That morning, Jill Maher was no longer seen as just a missing person, and the Homicide Department took over the case. With a changed perspective on the case, the new investigators on the case quickly began directing their attention to Tom Maher. Given that violence against women is frequently committed by an intimate partner, police initially made Tom the prime suspect. They tore through the Mar's flat interrogated Tom and used phone tracking to pinpoint his locations that evening. After a thorough investigation on Monday and Tuesday, detectives determined that Tom, beyond any doubt, not involved in his wife's disappearance. The detectives on Jill's case would later apologize for the difficult, awful ways that they treated Tom in those initial days of the investigation, but Tom held no ill will towards them. In fact, he publicly thanked them for working so tirelessly on finding his wife and doing everything they thought necessary to bring her home. By Tuesday afternoon, police had acquired the footage from the Duchess Boutique that showed Jill stopping in front of the store and talking to the man in the blue hoodie. This new footage of Jill changed everything in her case. Police had a new primary suspect believing that this man in the hoodie was responsible for what had happened to Jill Maher. At the very least, he would have been one of the last people to see her alive. Using the same phone tracking that had eliminated Tom as a suspect, police found that Jill's phone had been on the Tula Marine Freeway near Moreland Road at 4.30 a.m. on Sunday, September 23, 2012. Based on the transactions on the toll road at the same time that Jill's phone was traveling through there, police were able to identify their suspect, Adrian Ernest Bailey. To confirm their suspicions, they examined his phone records from the night that Jill disappeared. They found that his phone traced the movement of Jill's. That is until they reached Gisborne, a town a little less than 35 miles northwest of Melbourne. From there, only Adrian Bailey's phone returns back towards Sydney Road. By Thursday, September 27th, the police were certain that Adrian Bailey was involved in Jill's disappearance. They brought him in for questioning and searched his home, where they found Jill's phone's SIM card, an important piece of the investigation. During their interviews, Adrian first appeared very confident and relaxed. But as police began to point out the evidence that they were gathering against him including the sim card and the phone records his demeanor shifted and he began to reply i can't explain it to many of their questions as the interview went on adrian grew more and more angry before finally admitting that he was responsible for killing jill Mar. without fully explaining what had happened that night adrian directed detectives to an area in gisborne where he had buried Jill in the middle of the night. Adrian Ernest Bailey was 40 years old when he murdered Jill Mar. but Jill was far from his first victim. In 1991, when he was only 19 years old, he was sentenced to five years in jail for raping a teenager and attempting to rape two other women. After getting out of jail, he was imprisoned again, this time for 11 years in 2002 on 16 charges of rape with 5 victims, but by 2010, Adrian had been released on parole. Only a couple years later, he attacked a man in February of 2012, which should have landed him back in jail, but because he appealed the charge, he was able to post bail and he was released. It was in these three months that he sexually assaulted three more women, before murdering Jill Marr. With a brutal history of assault and clear evidence connecting him to Jill's murder. Adrian gave his version of what happened on that night in September. He told them that he had gone out with his girlfriend and a friend, stopping at the lounge bar on Sydney Road, where Jill was out with her co-workers. While out, Adrian had a fight with his girlfriend about his jealousy and possessiveness, which caused him to storm out angrily. He took a taxi home, changed into his blue hoodie, and came back out. On CCTV, he was seen calling someone who didn't answer, presumably his girlfriend. When she didn't respond, he continued on his way, alone for the night. On the street, he ran into Jill who was on her way home from her night out. He recalled listening to her call her brother about her father, and that they struck up a conversation. Given that Jill was always bubbly and sociable, it seemed just like Jill to be kind to a stranger, even so late at night. According to Adrian, Jill looked distraught and lost, but given that she frequently walked from this area, it seems doubtful that she was lost. He then asked to help her home, which she adamantly rejected, making him more and more angry. Ignoring her rejection, Adrian tried to kiss Jill and touch her, but she slapped him in the face, clearly not consenting to his advances. He then became more and more angry and pushed her on the hood of the car in the alleyway and raped her. After the rape, Jill threatened to call the police, which caused Adrian to become more irate, because he knew that he would be going back to prison if caught. He reacted by strangling her with his bare hands. After he killed Jill, he left her body in the alley and went home to get a shovel. He returned to the scene of the crime, put Jill's body in the trunk of his car, and drove off.
0: Initially, Adrian seemed to want to fight the charges of murder and the three counts of rape. He pleaded not guilty at the first part of the trial in March 2013. However, the following month, he changed his plea to guilty. Given that he had pleaded guilty, it was up to a judge rather than a jury to determine his sentencing. During the hearing to determine how long he would be jailed, victim impact statements were read. These statements show how deeply Jill's murder has affected those in her life. These received some media attention as many of her colleagues at ABC submitted theirs. Many of these people have looked for counseling after her death to cope with it. The Supreme Court judge assigned to the sentencing emphasized that Adrian had told a Fargo of lies to police that delayed their investigation and that he intentionally killed Jill, whether for sadistic pleasure or fear of being caught. For all of these reasons, Adrian Bailey was given life in prison for Jill Marr's murder without the possibility of parole for at least 35 years. Initially, Adrian felt that his sentence was deserved, speaking publicly about feeling remorseful about what he had done. But a few months later, as the anniversary of Jill's murder approached, Adrian appealed his sentence, claiming that the non-parole period was too long because he did not take perverted pleasure in her death. Essentially, his appeal was based on an argument that he was more of a rapist than a murderer, claiming that he wasn't a killer who enjoyed killing, but luckily this appeal was denied. While serving his sentence for Jill's murder in March of 2015, Adrian had also been found guilty of three more rapes, the victims, two sex workers and a Dutch backpacker had come forward after they saw the news about Jill's case. As a result of these additional crimes, Adrian's time before he was eligible for parole was extended from 35 to 43 years. In 2016, Adrian appealed this sentencing as well, this time with slight success. The evidence that was linked to identification wasn't strong enough to be included at the time of his trial. Because of this, his non-parole time was reduced by three years. At this time, he will not be eligible for parole until 2055, when he will be 83 years old. While no excuse for Adrian's behavior and crimes, his lawyer did say that he had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and that he was an alcoholic. Reportedly, he has also been abused by his father and another female relative. In his confession, he says he cried while he dug the hole for Jill. He had asked, how many chances does a person need? They should have never let me out. While Adrian may seem repentant, according to judges on his case, his history left little room for optimism concerning his prospects of rehabilitation. In the years since Jill was brutally attacked and killed, her case continues to receive attention. Because of the loopholes in the laws that led to Adrian Bailey not being sent back to jail after violating his parole, new legislation has been introduced that will hopefully help to keep violent men like Adrian off the streets by strengthening the requirements for parole and oversight. Tom Marr, Jill's husband, has continued to advocate for his wife despite having moved back to his hometown in Ireland in August of 2013. He wrote an essay for the White Ribbon Movement, an organization that works to stop violence against women. In his essay, he reflects on the socially constructed myths around men who commit violence. He writes about how it is not just monsters who assault women, but their friends, acquaintances, husbands, lovers, brothers and fathers. He recognizes how his wife's rape and murder is one of the more rare cases that fall into the trope that it is only random violent strangers who commit such horrible acts. Rather than promoting this narrative, Tom writes that it is in Jill's memory that he works to encourage male self-examination and that men need to break their silence on violence against women, asking that men confront other men who excuse sexual misconduct, make jokes about it, or fail to hold each other accountable. Jill's mother has also been using her platform to advocate for social issues after losing her daughter. Specifically, she has been speaking up against a proposed Victorian gag law. The proposed law would make it illegal for victims of sexual assault to be named publicly in cases where the offender has been found guilty. They would be fined over $8,000 and potentially face jail time. While the proposed law might have good intentions to protect victims' anonymity, for Edith McKeon, it would make it possible for her to publicly share her daughter's story. Because the law still allows the offenders to speak publicly, this would effectively silence a victim's voice. Susan Bailey, Adrian's mother, has also spoken out against the proposed gag law saying that she doesn't want her son's name to be publicized, while the victims would lose their right to come forward and share their stories. Susan has also spoken up about the failures of authorities to take her seriously when she reported to them that her son was dangerous. Susan shared on 3AW radio that she even went to his parole officer for help, but no one was willing to listen to her. We have to wonder how Jill's story might have ended differently if someone had listened to Susan and taken her son off the streets before he was able to encounter Jill that night in September. Jill's story is absolutely heartbreaking. And while cases like this and the true crime genre often make it seem like violence against women is done by random monsters, we want to echo Tom Mars' recognition that women are most often physically and sexually assaulted by men they know. If you or anyone you know is a victim of abuse, you can reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will see you next week.
1: Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.